Next, this month's special series, Focus on Cancer. Throughout the month of April, ReachMD talks to experts in the field about new research channels and treatment options in cancer care. Survival rates for retinoblastoma now approach 100%, but in years past, enucleation was the only sure way to cure this rare pediatric malignancy. Now we're seeing advances in chemotherapy that not only spare the child's eye, but can preserve vision as well. What makes this chemotherapy regimen so effective, and how can we build on its effectiveness to preserve the vision and the livelihood of children affected by retinoblastoma? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Cancer. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. David Abramson, chief of the Ophthalmic Oncology Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Welcome, Dr. Abramson. Thank you. Now, how common is retinoblastoma? It's a rare cancer, but then cancer in children is rare. There are about 250 to 300 cases a year in the United States and somewhere between five and 8,000 new cases yearly in the world. Who's most likely to get retinoblastoma or to have retinoblastoma, and how is it recognized? Retinoblastoma only occurs in children and only occurs in young children. It occurs equally in boys and girls, and the incidence is the same everywhere in the world. It cuts across all races, all ethnic groups, all social groups. The average child with retinoblastoma is diagnosed in the first or second year of life. Children with retinoblastoma in only one eye, unilateral retinoblastoma, in the United States are diagnosed most commonly at age two years. Children with bilateral retinoblastoma, where both eyes are involved, are most commonly diagnosed at the age of one year. In our center, which is a highly specialized center for the treatment of retinoblastoma, we see a disproportionate number of children with bilateral disease, and the average age of the child we see is between three and six months of age. And how is it detected? Universally in the United States, it's detected because of what's called leukocoria, which means white pupil. In fact, what happens is someone notices a whiteness in the normal black pupil, and the whiteness is actually the cancer. It's one of the few cases where cancer is actually seen directly without having to do sophisticated imaging. Almost always, in more than 90% of cases, it's detected by a family member, and in about 90% of the family members, it's always the mother. Is there a proportion of retinoblastoma that is inherited? Yes. More than 100 years, it was recognized that some children with retinoblastoma had a form of it that could be passed on to their children, or some parents had retinoblastoma, and they could pass it on to their children. Originally, about the turn of the 19th century, it really wasn't recognized and it was heavily debated whether or not retinoblastoma had a genetic basis. That was because few children survived to adulthood and so families really couldn't be observed. We now recognize that retinoblastoma occurs in two forms and the genetic form that is passed on represents as much as 40% of all of the cases of retinoblastoma that we see. 
Now, you're an ophthalmologist, and you've been called the dean of retinoblastoma. How did it come about that retinoblastoma is the only pediatric cancer that's not treated primarily by pediatric oncologists? Interesting question. Not only is that the case, but retinoblastoma in a period of 100 years went from under 5% survival to over 95% survival. And it's interesting that it happened in the hands of ophthalmologists, not pediatric oncologists, and it happened without any prospective randomized multicenter trials. It was simply good observation on a relatively small number of clinicians worldwide, primarily in the United States and in England, who made observations and immediately applied them to humans. Retinoblastoma is unusual in cancer because it is diagnosed simply by observation. Needle biopsies and biopsies are not done, and the reason for that is that needle biopsies and biopsies of any sort of the eye are thought to spread the cancer and increase the chance of the child dying. So that in virtually all cases, it is diagnosed simply by observation. The observation techniques are techniques that are common to ophthalmologists but unknown to pediatric oncologists. And that's the reason that it's been ophthalmologists traditionally who have both diagnosed it and treatment. Most of the treatment for retinoblastoma is also done by ophthalmologists. Removal of the eye is an eye surgical technique. Techniques of using radiation on the eye, so-called brachytherapy, is done by ophthalmologists. Ophthalmologists develop techniques using lasers and using freezing cryotechniques that are all ophthalmologic-based and really not oncology-based. So it is actually only recently that the pediatric oncologists have become as important as they are in the management, but not the diagnosis of retinoblastoma. You mentioned many different forms of treatment for retinoblastoma. So what led to the consideration of intraophthalmic or intraarterial chemotherapy in the ophthalmic artery? As you mentioned in your introduction, removal of the eye is a very effective way to eliminate retinoblastoma. And in about 98% of cases, that straightforward, simple, outpatient, virtually painless operation is curative. It is also devastating. The loss of an eye is something humans never quite get over, families never quite get over. The guilt of patients and families is forever. I've personally removed more than a 1,000 eyes for cancer, and although I've never regretted it, and those patients have survived, and we have more survivors in our center than anywhere else in the world, I've wished all along that there were techniques that we could use that would allow us to not have to remove the eye. And such techniques have been around for some time. The main one is radiation. Retinoblastoma is one of the few cancers and one of the few cancers in pediatrics where the cancer can be completely cured with radiation alone, without chemotherapy and without surgery. And it has been used successfully. And we still use it. But radiation does have significant side effects short and long term So we have looked hard for other techniques to save the eye, save life, and even save vision. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Cancer, from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. 
Our guest is Dr. David Abramson, Chief of the Ophthalmic Oncology Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. We're discussing advances in the treatment of retinoblastoma, and in particular, we're talking about intra-arterial chemotherapy through the ophthalmic artery. Now, how do you access the ophthalmic artery for this type of chemotherapy? It's a challenge, but it's a challenge we've mastered. The ophthalmic artery is the only blood vessel supplying the human eyeball, and it means that it's the only blood vessel supplying the cancer in the eye. So we have an unusual circumstance where we know if we could get a drug into that artery, we could successfully get it into the cancer. More than 15 years ago, the Japanese attempted to deliver drug directly into the ophthalmic artery, and they were unable to do that. But what they did was create a balloon catheter passed up through the femoral artery on either side, up the abdominal aorta, into the chest, into the neck, internal carotid artery. And then they went just beyond the branch of the ophthalmic artery, which is the first major branch of the internal carotid artery, but the fourth or fifth small branch. And they created a small balloon, like a miniature Foley catheter. They blew up the balloon and occluded the internal carotid artery for 20 to 30 minutes of time, during which time they injected some chemotherapy posterior to that balloon in the hope that it would go into the ophthalmic artery. They chose the drug melphalan, a drug usually not used for retinoblastoma. We decided to use the same drug they had used, but were able to develop a microcatheter technique going directly into the ophthalmic artery. It turns out that the ophthalmic artery of young children is between 500 and 1,000 microns, and that represents approximately the size of dried angel hair pasta. Our probe is about half the size of dried angel hair pasta. It's about 450 microns, and we're able then to put it directly into the ophthalmic artery. This is a interventional neuroradiologic technique, and it was an IRB protocol that we developed with Pierre Gauvin, professor of neurosurgery and interventional radiology at Weill Cornell Medical Center. We began this in May of 2006. Now, you said earlier that you've removed a 1,000 eyes in your surgical history. How many of those might have been candidates for this type of eye-sparing and potentially vision-sparing chemotherapy? Based on what we're seeing now, the majority, and that is more than 50% of eyes that have been removed in the past can be salvaged with this technique. Considering that that's been the most common treatment we've all done, that's a pretty large impact on patient algorithms. Absolutely. Do you find that it is as effective in preventing recurrence of retinoblastoma? It's an excellent question. When we thought about it initially, we said, what is the likelihood that chemotherapy alone will cure a solid cancer? And unfortunately, in all of oncology, that's an unusual event. And then when we thought about it, we said, well, where is there an example in cancer where a single drug is actually effective at curing cancer, and we have to stretch our imaginations to exotic things like topical 5-FU for basal cells or the famous reported use of cytoxan with one dose for Burkitt's lymphoma in Africa. But basically, nowhere is a single agent of chemotherapy thought to be curative for cancer. But 
Nowhere has anyone attempted to use concentrations of drugs that are as high as ours are. We don't actually know what the concentration is. We know exactly what the dose is, but not the concentration. But it's many, 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 many fold higher. And it is just possible that chemotherapy delivered in 50 to 100 times the concentration that would kill a human will actually kill a cancer. And that's exactly what's happened. When we initially began this, we thought of this as an alternative to systemic chemotherapy. If this worked as well as systemic chemotherapy, but didn't have the systemic side effects, we would have been happy. Well, it doesn't have any systemic side effects of significance at all, but super high doses like this, super selectively placed in the ophthalmic artery, are completely curative. These eyes don't recur. Recurrence has not been a problem for us in any of the eyes we've treated. The responses we see are dramatic, and we see them within three weeks. Do you see the same response for different stages of retinoblastoma, such as more advanced disease versus milder disease? When we initially began the protocol, we weren't certain if we could reliably, reproducibly cannulate the ophthalmic artery, which we can. We're able to do that in about 98% of these children. We weren't sure if the dose we were using would actually work against retinoblastoma. It turned out that the dose that we best guesstimated is the ideal dose, and it's quite curative against retinoblastoma. And we didn't know how toxic that dose would be to the human retina. So we very carefully monitored these children's vision and pupils, and most importantly, electroretinograms with our colleague Scott Brody, to actually see if we were destroying the retina. There would be an argument for this technique, even if the retina were destroyed and you saved an eye, but we had hoped that we'd be able to save some vision. What we discovered was that in almost all cases, that represents about 90% of the cases, not only do we not affect the vision, but if the retina is detached, it will settle down within a few weeks and the children who had no vision when we initially treated them will get back sight. They actually can go back to getting normal sight, but they certainly get back sight as the retina settles down. Recurrence has not been a problem, and toxicity to the retina, miraculously, has not been a problem either. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. David Abramson. We've been discussing advances in the treatment of retinoblastoma. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Cancer, from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Cancer. For a program guide, complete list of shows, and podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com.